0: and welcome to the ESVS podcast. My name is Vaiva Dabravoskaite, and this is the last fourth part of EUBVS exam preparation podcast series. Together with me is Professor Mauro Garciulo and today we will discuss five overall vivas using examples from the previous EUBVS exams. Nice to have you here with me Professor Garciulo. Hi. Bye. Bye. Okay, we have a lot of work to do, or rather a lot of talking to do, so without any delay, let's start. A short introduction to this part of the exam. So the overall Viva will have several questions covering any aspect of vascular surgery, and it will be presented on a laptop using PowerPoint presentation. The overall Viva will last 30 minutes overall and accounts of a maximum of 32 points. The main differences from the clinical cases are covered in our first exam preparation podcast so if you didn't have a tense take a listen first case scenario patient is a 70 year old male his known comorbidities are hypertension in 2018 he had right above the knee amputation after an acute ischemia due to a right popliteal aneurysm thrombosis he has no history of other cardiovascular diseases. What follow-up regime would you suggest in such case?
1: And uh, this is a patient with an history of right poplital aneurysm thrombosis uh, and the major amputation. Then the follow-up is related to the major amputation first regarding the, um, the healing of the major amputation and the follow-up is in favor of the contralateral limb because we know that frequently the poplital aneurysm is bilateral then we want to define uh, the quality of the contralateral popliteal artery and at the same time, even the aortic aneurysm because sometimes the popliteal artery is associated with aortic disease. Then I think that in the follow-up of this patient, we need to evaluate correctly the aortic disease, if there is uh, abdominal aorta and the the contralateral popliteal artery.
0: So in 2021, the patient was referred to your center with a duplex ultrasound findings where on his left lower limb, the ultrasound was performed. You will have the ultrasound image in front of you. So popliteal artery diameter at P1 level was 3.1 centimeters. Patient had a pulsating mass in the left popliteal area. Would you do any further imaging for this patient?
1: Then, uh, generally, after the diagnosis of popliteal aneurysm uh, with duplex, uh, I think it's great to, to evaluate the limb with the CT, angio CT, to define uh, the proximal and distal extension of the aneurysm and the presence of thrombus inside of the,
0: of the aneurysm. So that's what the vascular team did, and you have two, disc- two CT images in front of you, Uh, with a maximum diameter of popliteal artery of 36 millimeters. Can you describe what you see?
1: Yeah, you can see two different views, the the aneurysm, and you can see the diameter 36 with thrombus inside, and the the extension of the aneurysm uh, probably in P1 and P2. Mm, I think that um, according with the history of contralateral limb, we need in these patients uh, to define if it's possible to treat uh, surgically these, uh, these aneurysms.
0: Exactly. So, you already smartly moved on to the next point. How would you treat this patient?
1: Yeah, this is an uh, aneurysm of the popliteal artery. And, you know, we can use uh, two different treatments surgical therapy and vascular therapy. I remember very well, uh, 20 years ago, the results that were reported about the use of uh, um, stent graft uh, endovascular treatment of pletal aneurysm, but uh, the enthusiasm that uh, the authors reported in uh, 20 years ago now is a little bit uh, uh, less supported by the literature. And then uh, I think uh, in these patients uh, with uh, a single arm to guarantee the best results, and I think the surgical treatment is the first choice in a patient with this disease.
0: This vascular team has also chosen a surgical treatment. Which surgical approach would you propose, and what kind of graft would you use in this case?
1: In these patients, we define that the the lesion is a um, short lesion and uh, with involvement to P1 and P2, then uh, it's possible probably to treat these patients with posterior approach. And um, in this case, uh, um, the choice of grafts uh, is related to the diameter of the artery because uh, if you have an artery more than seven millimeters, uh, uh, even if the, the autologous vein is the best choice, sometimes uh, there is no um, diameter there is a difference of diameter between uh, the artery and the vein, then sometimes we need to use a prosthetic graft uh, at the level of the popliteal artery. Uh, then, uh, if the, anast- the proximal distal anastomosis is a terminal terminal anastomosis, we need uh, uh, frequently to use um, graft. Generally, we use a PTFE graft in the- with proximal distal end to end anastomosis. With a posterior approach, generally this is our first choice in this short lesion of the popliteal artery. Uh,
0: would you use a spiral vein graft or do you have any experiences with that?
1: No, we have no experience with this technique.
0: And um, how would you follow up this patient after the procedure?
1: We follow the patients with a clinical and duplex ultrasound after 3 6 and 12 months in the first year and after 12 months uh, a normal follow up every year is the uh, our approach generally
0: exactly and of course if you have uh, for your patient an aortic problem as well so that has another follow up as surveillance uh, afterwards and i would like to remind our listeners i would add a link on popliteal aneurysms, um, a podcast recorded with one of my colleagues on a topic which will help you out to refresh your memory. And now uh, we can move on to the next case. So uh, we have a 70-year-old man with the following risk factors. He's a smoker, has diabetes, hypertension, and a cardiovascular disease so he has coronary artery disease 3 years before he had coronary artery bypass surgery using great saphenous vein he complains of an abdominal pain which lasted already for 3 months he is also experiencing weight loss a postprandial pain and a food fear gastrointestinal malignancies and potential gi tract causes are excluded Abdominal ultrasound examination shows steno obstructive disease of celiac trunk and SMA. What other imaging would you recommend for this particular patient?
1: Yes, uh, generally, after the duplex ultrasound, I think that uh, the first uh, imaging is uh, the CT, the angio CT, to define uh, the quality of the celiac trunk the SMA, and the inferior mesenteric mesenteric artery.
0: Exactly, and that's what the vascular team did. You have a few projections of CT images in front of you. Can you comment them?
1: Yes, this is a lateral view of the uh, aorta with calcified lesion at the ostium of the celiac trunk and the uh, superior mesenteric artery with a very tight stenosis in the superior mesenteric artery and celiac trunk. And we can see here that there is a calcified lesion in the ostium of the arteries.
0: Exactly, so how would you manage this patient?
1: In this case today, uh, we think that the endovascular treatment is the first choice for these patients and according with the origin of the SMA, and the angle between the SMA and the abdominal aorta, I think that um, it's possible to evaluate the endovascular treatment from the above, from the brachial axis.
0: Okay, so uh, as you already spoiled, so we have chosen endovascular treatment and uh, my following question would have been your preferred axis. So you would propose a brachial axis and what is the other option?
1: We can go from the uh, from below, from the femoral axis, but uh, you know, we need probably if, uh, we, from below the sterile sheet uh, to guarantee the pushability of the guide wire inside of the lesion. And uh, because uh, f- according with the angle of the SMA, it is not simple to go inside of the SMA from below. Uh, probably it's better to go from above uh, uh, if there are no lesion. In the uh, aortic arch or at level of the left subclavian artery,
0: and obviously uh, you would have a complete CT scan before you perform a procedure. So you also would evaluate your accesses based based on that because patient has a lot of cardiovascular comorbidities. And how would you treat this SMA lesion? In other words, would you do only PTA or would you combine it with stent? And if so, which kind of stent would you choose?
1: Yeah, generally we know that this case with calcified lesion, it's better to add the PTA and stent. Generally, in our daily practice in this lesion, we prefer to use uh, the bar stent and not stent graft. This is our approach generally in, is a balloon expandable bar stent.
0: And then now we are moving on to interoperative CT scan. Uh, you have a lateral and AP view. Can you comment on that? Yeah,
1: uh, we can see on the left uh, the brachial axis uh, and the, the, um, the sheet in the left subclavian artery, the guide in the descending aorta. And in the middle uh, we have um, a catheter, probably is a vertebral catheter very close to the Um, the ostium of the SMA, and we can see the calcified lesion at the level of the ostium and distally to the ostium in the the anterior-posterior view of the SMA. And here we can see the stent at the level of the ostium of SMA and the deployment of the stent, and the, the final injury in lateral view, and anteropositorial view, with re of the SMA.
0: So we have uh, successfully treated the SMA lesion, and what would you do with the celiac trunk? Would you treat it, or would you leave it?
1: Generally, uh, we prefer to, to treat only the SMA lesion, if uh, the, we have a technical success of the treatment, we treat only SMA, we don't treat the celiac trunk, and if we have a failure of the re of SMA, we generally treat the celiac trunk.
0: And how uh, would you manage this patient postoperatively? What would be your medical therapy choice and surveillance?
1: Yes, generally when we treat patients uh, with stent, uh, bar stent, uh, or uh, uh, stent graft at the level of visceral vessels, uh, we prefer to use uh, double antiplatelets for a period of three months. We have no data from the literature regarding uh, the length of the antiplatelet treatment, uh, one month, three months, six months, one year, according with team choice. In our center generally we use for three months. And uh, uh, after that, uh, we follow this patient with duplex ultrasound because generally it's possible with duplex to evaluate uh, the uh, SMA. And uh, if not, uh, in this case, we have uh, uh, calcified lesion of the osteum. It's not simple to define uh, correctly the duplex uh, image at the level of the osteum. We can add a uh, CT, but we can have even uh, an indirect evaluation uh, of the patency of the SMA to evaluate the the distal segment of the SMA that, uh, according with the CT, is uh, without uh, calcification, and then uh, probably we can use only duplex uh, and the clinical surveillance of these patients.
0: And so we successfully solved case number two, and let's move on to case number three. Uh, we have a male patient, 76 year old, a previous smoker. Uh, he has hypertension, uh, atrial fibrillation, and he is treated with warfarin. ASA three. In November 2018, due to triple a diameter of 80 millimeters, he was treated endovascularly with aneurysm. Zenit Cook Alpha graft was used. And in a picture in front of you, you will also have a diameters. In June 2019, he had a rapid onset of pain and hypothermia in his right lower limb, Rutherford 2A, and loss of pulses in the right lower limb. What is your clinical suspicion and what imaging would you do?
1: Yes, uh, in a patient with uh, evar, with uh, um, no pulse in the uh, right lower limb, the, the idea, uh, the hypothesis, the occlusion of the limb or the graft or occlusion of the external iliac artery below the stent graft. Then, uh, uh, to define correctly, one of the opportunities uh, to use uh, duplex ultrasound is to define uh, the diagnosis. But if I need to plan the treatment, I need a CT in Angel City, to define uh, the endograft, to define uh, the uh, main body, the iliac limb. In this case, we have uh, a database, then uh, we need to evaluate the um, the patency of hypogastric artery on the right side and the external iliac artery. Then I think that the city is the best way to go.
0: Exactly, and this is what the vascular team did, and you have two projections in front of you with a CT scan. Can you comment us what you see?
1: Yeah, we can see that uh, on the left side, we have a patency of hypogastric and external iliac arteries. On the right side, we have a a patency of the graft in the hypogastric artery and the occlusion of the graft in the external iliac artery. And uh, we can see in the 3D reconstruction that the we have the occlusion of the external segment of the zeta at the level of the external iliac artery.
0: From your experience, uh, what do you think? What is the cause of this uh, iliac segment occlusion, and how would you treat it?
1: Yeah, the, the problem is that we can have a thinking at the distal segment uh, or in, at the level of the landing zone of the iliac branch in the the external iliac artery, this is one of the options. The other option is an evolution of the atherosclerotic disease of the external iliac artery, or another option is the uh, disease in the uh, common femoral artery with involvement uh, of the external iliac artery. Generally, in these patients, we have different options to treat uh, these patients. We started recently and we published in the European Journal of Vascular Surgery the experience in Italian experience with thromboaspiration in the um, external iliac artery and in the external segment of Zeta B's uh, endograft. And um, uh, today this is our uh, uh, first choice in our daily practice. Then uh, the first choice is endovascular treatment. Sometimes we can add uh, the thrombectomy associated with uh, thromboaspiration, and um, we in this case we need to guarantee the patency of hypogastric artery. Then uh, we need probably to go from uh, the ipsilateral groin and from the brachial axis or from the contralateral. Uh, um, limb with the sheet to introduce a balloon inside of the hypogastric artery to decrease risk of the embolization of the thrombus inside of the hypogastric artery. Then our approach today is uh, uh, as a first approach the endovascular. If the endovascular have a technical failure, One of the options is a crossover, femoral-femoral crossover from the left to the right side.
0: So we are midway through our cases, Professor, and let me present you the case number four. So we have a 68-year-old female with atrial fibrillation, and she's on warfarin. She has a chronic renal disease, too. She's on hemodialysis, which was initially managed with a percutaneous vascular axis, left subclavian catheter which was later removed following a successful left brachiocephalic AV fistula. Eight months after this procedure, patient developed left upper limb edema, no neurologic deficits in the arm, presence of brachial and radial pulses. AVF dysfunction was detected with an increase of deep venous pressure of 200 and a decrease in dialytic flow of 264 milliliters per minute. What is your diagnosis and what further investigation do you recommend?
1: Yes, it's a patient with a history of percutaneous vascular access in the left sublavian vein and with arteriovenous fistula. In these patients, we have increase in deep vein pressure and decrease in dialytic flow. Then uh, my first suspicion is that there is a problem regarding venous outflow from the arm then the hypothesis is uh, stenosis of, or occlusion of the left subclavian vein according with the history of percutaneous vascular, uh, previous percutaneous vascular access.
0: Exactly. Um, so the surgical team uh, at this point decides to perform a CT angio. And uh, images are presented in front of you and can you comment on those findings?
1: Yes, you can see at the level of the arrow, the presence of uh, the tight stenosis of a brachiocephalic trunk on the left side.
0: Exactly. How would you manage this tight stenosis?
1: And in this case, our first treatment is endovascular therapy today. And uh, we treat with uh, PTA and generally we add the stent at the level of the stenosis.
0: All right, so this vascular team had also chosen to do for a patient um, endovascular treatment, and you have intraoperative uh, CT images in front of you. Can you comment on them?
1: Yes, and this is an angel with the first evaluation of PTA on the left. This is a balloon. Generally, we prefer to use a a non-compliant balloon in this uh, location. And uh, after the use of uh, PTA, we prefer to add uh, a stent. And uh, on the right side, you can see the final angio with the revascularization uh, and the the correct treatment of the stenosis and the the absence of re-stenosis at the level of the treatment, the deployment, um, the segment of the uh, brachiocephalic trunk uh, treated with uh, the stent.
0: Exactly so it looks like a successful treatment and how would you follow up on this patient?
1: Again, I think that the follow up, the first follow-up is uh, the evaluation of the dialysis. Uh, we define it that, that we need to define uh, the deep uh, vein pressure, we need to define the dialytic flow and at the same time we need to evaluate clinically the patients uh, if there is edema or not in the arm and we need to evaluate with duplex. Uh, the outflow of the arteriovenous fistula, the level of the axillary vein, and the pains of BMI of the patients. But frequently, it's possible to evaluate even the subclavian vein and brachiocephalic vein with duplex.
0: And then, of course, for those patients, it's really important to restore the the flow uh, as soon as possible so they can start using the AV fistula. So uh, a short question, when can a patient use AV fistula after such procedure?
1: I think that if our access is at the level of brachial vein, you can use immediately because uh, you have no uh, lesion or no problems regarding cephalic vein. In this case, the treatment is in the chest, then you have no problem to use the arteriovenous fistula immediately. This is the reason why I think it's better not to use a puncture directly of cephalic vein if you use cephalic vein for dialysis.
0: All right, and Professor, we are slowly but surely approaching the last case. So I present to you, a 63-year-old female who experienced a loss of vision in the left eye described like a black curtain 10 days ago. The loss of vision lasted for six minutes and then resolved completely. She has a history of previous TEAs in 2010 and 2012. Then she experienced right-sided weakness and left ECA stenosis of less than 50% was diagnosed. She is a non-smoker, has hypertension, which is managed with amlodipine 10 mg per day, cholesterol levels of 225 mg per deciliter, and LDA level of 76 mg per deciliter. She has a normal ECG and a BMI of 26.3. How would you manage this patient?
1: I think this uh, is a patient with TIA, is a patient uh, with, with loss of vision in the left eye, and uh, uh, in this patient with the history of uh, the left uh, internal carotid artery stenosis, I think that uh, the first step is to reevaluate the carotid arteries. And uh, the first step in a patient with hypertension, with hypercholesterolemia, I think that uh, the first step is uh, to re-evaluate with the uh, duplex ultrasound, uh, the left and right uh, carotid uh, uh, arteries. After that, I think it's important even to evaluate the, the brain. Then I think that uh, we need in a patient with TIA, then it's a symptomatic patients uh, 10 days ago. We need to, even to evaluate with the CT, the brain of these patients.
0: Uh, so the vascular team performed duplex ultrasound of left side Uh, probably both but we have presented pictures of the left side and can you comment on those images so first we see a a common carotid artery duplex ultrasound and its curve can you say what you see
1: yes uh, i can see that this is a left distal common carotid artery without any problem regarding uh, the presence of hemodynamic lesion in common carotid artery
0: yes and then the next image
1: okay we can see the psd that is more than 300 this is a hemodynamic stenosis at the level of the ostium of the internal carotid artery
0: yes and then we have the third image
1: yes this is the left external carotid artery you can see the more than 200 centimeters then again this is a uh, hemodynamic stenosis uh, with involvement of the internal and external carotid artery. Then uh, this is a plaque at the level of the bifurcation of the common carotid artery.
0: How would you grade and what kind of classifications maybe would you use to grade the stenosis?
1: Uh, we have uh, two different possibilities. The Nashet classification of the stenosis evaluation of uh, a CSD classification of stenosis. We are in our daily practice, we use uh, the CST uh, classification and evaluation, and generally, uh, in this case, uh, we evaluate diameter at the, uh, at the level of the ostium of the internal carotid artery, and um, we can grade the stenosis according with uh, the uh, diameters. But in the same time, so we can classify even according to the hemodynamics aspect uh, of the stenosis. In this case, we have more than three hundred, and this is. Uh, more than 70% of the stenosis in these patients. More than 70% in asymptomatic patients, we think that the stenosis needed to be treated in a patient 63 years old.
0: Exactly, and yes, you professor already mentioned, so the following question would be any additional imaging. So you already mentioned that you would perform a head CT to evaluate whether any damage done from her previous symptoms, and in front of you you have uh, two images so you have a neck CT scan and also a head CT scan so can you comment what you see?
1: Yeah I I reported that it's important to define first the duplex and the CT brain CT but after that if we want to define correctly the quality of the arch these patients and the in case we need endovascular treatment we need to evaluate even with the, the angio-CT, the supraortic trunks, to define the quality of the arch, to define the lesion at the level of the carotid bifurcation, and even to define the intracranial internal carotid artery. If we have a disease inside of the, of the brain, I think it's very important not only to evaluate parenchyma, but even the vascularization inside of the of the brain. And then with the, the angio-CT, we can complete the preoperative evaluation in these patients.
0: Exactly. So uh, that would be your choice of treatment. Can you uh, tell us what other options of uh, carotid disease we have nowadays?
1: We prefer to use the surgical treatment. We have uh, even uh, the endovascular therapy. Uh, But in patients, uh, in symptomatic patients, uh, with uh, this type of lesion in our center, we prefer to do the uh, to treat this patient with surgical therapy generally it is uh, endarterectomy associated with a page plasty of the uh, carotid bifurcation and uh, regarding the time frame, I think that uh, the history is uh, 10 days ago TIA, and uh, without uh, lesion in the parenchyma, I think that we can treat these patients without any, Problem immediately after uh, the evaluation uh, of these patients. We don't need to wait time uh, because we know that in patients with TIA, the risk of stroke increase in the, in the first year significantly.
0: Exactly. Dear Professor, so we have solved all five clinical cases. I think it was a great wrap-up of our last series of free exam preparation podcast. I'm very grateful that you have made time to explore them all. And I hope this would just increase the number of applicants for the further exams. And I would like to invite the listeners once more to check all four of EBVS exam prep podcasts and many others. Which will greatly assist your preparations for the exam. And not only, it would also help out with your daily practice. Feel free to reach out to our team through our socials. Goodbye for now.
1: It was a great pleasure to stay with you. Bye!